Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast. We have quite a bit to discuss today, including some round of 16 Champions League reactions. We just finished watching Barcelona survive against Napoli at the Camp Nou, and we have our Barcelona expert, Caleb Rhodes, to break it all down for us. Hello. And we also have Nathan Strauss, as usual, to complete the three-man booth today. Good evening. So lads, let's start with the big match today in Barcelona. Coming into it, certainly if you listen to our preview pod of this game last week, it certainly felt like it was the most important game of Barcelona's season. The tension coming into today was palpable. We certainly felt it from Caleb. He's feeling a little <laughs> tense in the text conversations today. But <laughs> at the end of the day, Lionel Messi at home, Champions League brilliance in the round of 16 again. Barcelona go through 3-1 on the day, 4-2 on aggregate. Caleb, what was your impression of this game? First, take me through Take me through just your emotional state from beginning to end. You know, you wake up this morning, big game, massive game, most important game of the season. You're sitting down to watch it. Take me through your thought process. Yeah, this was, this was a pretty intense game. I think there's a lot to unpick here. I mean, I almost lost it like 60 seconds into the game when Merton's honestly should have put away the first goal for Napoli, which would have put them ahead to one in the tie. But thankfully, he shanked it. This is, there was a lot going on. I was very pleased in general with the team, especially I texted you guys before the game. I said, because Barcelona have no depth on the bench, it was pretty much all youth players. Our only real first team player was Firpo. And, you know, Puig and Fatih are on there, but they're not, they're still bubble players, I would say. They're not sort of always in the first team. So I said, you know, we have to win this in the first half and win it in the first half we did. I mean, such brilliant play. Lenglet's header was Barcelona's first headed goal in the Champions League for like two and a half years. We really just did what we had to do. Um, But I was also really riled up at different points by just terrible refereeing. This ref was awful. VAR was terrible. The fact that it took like 18 minutes, almost literally, to figure out that Koulibaly clearly fouled Messi in the box. (laughs) Meanwhile, it took them about three seconds to say that Rakitic fouled Mertens in the box for Napoli's penalty just made no sense to me. The fact that they chalked off what must be said, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Messi goal for what would have been his second after the most minuscule of touches off his arm when the ball pretty much landed squarely on his chest after an amazing ball from De Jong. This game was terribly refereed, and that was the one thing that honestly worried me is that like, oh my God, are we going to give up like three more penalties in the second half? Because like the wind in the empty stadium like hits Herving Lozano wrong. All in all, I was very pleased. My biggest emotion was just relief. Relief that on the day that we needed a result, we got the result and showed that we actually can be a pretty good team. Nathan, last week we talked about Setien maybe experimenting with the 3-5-2. Today, we saw them line up in the traditional Barca 4-3-3. Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann lining up at the spear in attack. 
and that served them well as Messi coming off the right, as he so normally does, provided the brilliance. Talk me through Messi's goal, your reactions to it, and give me your thoughts on Barcelona's chances going up against Bayern, especially considering it's going to be a one-legged tie. I mean, I thought that Barcelona lining up in the 4-3-3 actually really played to their strengths, especially because Napoli, when they were defending, were defending so narrow. I thought Napoli were basically defending in a 4-4-2. And when Barcelona were able to get the fullbacks forward, especially Jordi Alba, they were able to create some really easy overloads in the wide areas. And that's what ended up leading to two of their goals. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is a game where Messi had one of his messy games where pretty much everything he touched turned to gold. He's done this. He just he has this, this ability to take over games that we've seen for so long. And today was one of them. I actually agreed with the call that chalked off his goal uh, just by the letter of the law. Boo, boo. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, you can understand why when you're giving the handball against Kimpembe in the Champions League last year, you're giving the handball. Right. I actually thought about that as well. I was right. like, I oh, mean, it's mine flashback yeah, to the Kimpembe call. Yeah, but we should, they should have changed. I mean, like, right. But I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree. I hate, I think it's totally against the spirit of the game, but I understand where that call came from. What was really confusing to me about VAR today, before I get onto their chances against Bayern, is when Messi was down on the pitch injured for like three and a half minutes, could they not have just done the VAR check then? Dude, like, it's, no, thank dude, you. I honestly thank thought, you. dude, thank you. I, the whole time, the whole time, I'm like, VAR should finish checking things like, by the time celebrations for a goal are like done, right? And I know you're talking right. about like, the penalty situation, but I just don't understand. Like, what are they waiting for? Right. And I mean, I honestly I, thought that when Suarez when Suarez stepped up to take the penalty, I honestly thought that is because Messi had retired because the VAR check took like way too long. <laughs> no, no, there was this, there was this like truly asinine line from whoever was doing play by play today. I'm or uh, color. It might have been Jim Proudfoot for for CBS Sports. And I thought CBS Sports production was generally pretty good over the past couple of days where he said, if Messi can stand, he'll take this penalty. Uh, And that made me a little annoyed because, first of all, Messi's penalty record is not great. And second of all, Messi was already on his feet and clearly Suarez was over the ball and it had been like three and a half minutes. So they were clearly... I thought Messi was going to take the penalty sitting down, honestly, after his first... (laughs) I mean, yeah, the, the nice thing is like, Messi has never been the kind of person to care about hat tricks. I think, you know, even though he was on two goals, I don't think that there was any, uh, or he was in theory on two goals where he's actually on one. Um, I don't think that he was going to be super picky about whether or not he or Luis Suarez took it. But at the end of the day, I think this is an encouraging performance for Barcelona, but I think they showed vulnerabilities that Bayern are absolutely able to exploit. Like you think about how Napoli were able to, spring balls uh, out wide on the counterattack. I thought Diego Demma did a great job of that in the first half. And then you think about the fact that Bayern's midfield three are just like three times better than Napoli's midfield three. And Bayern's fullbacks are so much better than uh, Di Lorenzo and Mario Rui. It's definitely it's definitely the the show tie of, of the upcoming quarterfinals. I mean, it's clearly the biggest tie. With Messi, you can never count Barcelona out. But I think Bayern still have to be considered strong, strong favorites uh, going into that tie, Nick. Mm, Caleb, I want to hear your response to that. We, you certainly were fearful of Napoli. I don't want to say fearful. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you certainly were a little bit stressed about Napoli coming into today. What about this performance makes you think that their chances against a Bayern side that you've called the best in Europe going right now has improved? A, I think this result is better than what I expected. And it was nice to see that Messi was as dialed in as he can be. I think his goal today 
where he literally was like down in the box, stood up, took a touch and still curled it just showed you how much just like sheer grit and like will he has to just keep fighting. And I think that can only bode well for us. I think there were other positive signs like Griezmann, although he didn't have a shot today, which is, you know, never good for an attacker. I thought he had a very solid game. I thought the work rate, the work rate was very good from Griezmann. Yeah, the work rate was there. He had like a 95% passing accuracy. He had, you know, several dribbles today, which he doesn't normally dribble that much. So I was, I, I saw Griezmann, that was more integrated into the play of the team. But I also think I saw great improvement from this team. I think Semedo has gone leaps and bounds since restart. I think he's playing with an incredible confidence. And also we have to remember that against Bayern, we'll have several players back. We'll have Busquets, who will probably take a spot in midfield. We'll have Vidal back. And so I think in this game, our 11 got it done, and we only had to bring, what, Manchu off the bench um, and Firpo. But next game, we're going to have more options. We're going to be ha- we're going to have more confidence. And so I don't think I would say Bayern are strong favorites. I think they're still favorites. But I think this game is much, much closer than I would have said three days ago. I certainly think this is Barcelona's most important result in a really, really long time. This is a must win for them. And they went out there and must won. But I also think Nathan is right when he said that Bayern are going to take the chances that Napoli didn't take. I think about when I texted you guys saying that maybe Gattuso brought on Milik a little bit late and then he immediately beats across with his head. It was like two <laughs> seconds later. Oh my God. Puts it into the back of the net and it's ruled just offside. That's a chance that Robert Lewandowski is going to take. The Mertens volley out of this guy that hits the post in minute one, that's a chance that Lewandowski or Muller is going to take. Barcelona, I was really impressed as a Liverpool fan uh, whose team plays a very high line and traps people in offside traps all the time. I was very impressed with the way Barcelona's defensive organization was set up today and the fact that they trapped Insigne and Callejon offside so many times. They're going to need to be twice as solid in order to get past Bayern. And I certainly think this result will provide a lot of much-needed confidence going into that game. I just think Bayern have all the confidence that Barcelona are just working themselves up to. They're going to need to be... We saw Barcelona kind of put their foot off the gas around the 60th minute of this game. They're going to need to be all hands on deck for the entirety of the 90-minute tie against Bayern. And I think we've yet to see 90 minutes of consistency from this Barcelona side. Yeah, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic here, but I don't think there's a single player on Napoli who gets into Bayern starting 11, especially after the game Koulibaly had today. And I think there's some parallels between Koulibaly's game and Varane's game, which we'll get to. There's only four days between now and the next tie. Um, I'm not sure that that's enough time for Setien to game plan for this Bayern team. But at the end of the day, it's a one-legged tie. Anything can happen, especially when you're led by the magisterial Messi at the front. Yeah, that's the thing. And Caleb, you're absolutely right. Like that goal that he scored off the ground, essentially, it just shows how much he values winning this competition, getting in the final of this competition and actually securing some silverware for Barcelona this season after the turmoil that has been the past couple of months. Yeah, I mean, before the game started, you know, CBS had Carragher, Richards and Roberto Martinez um, sort of discussing in the box. Uh, And they were talking about like, so like, what do you do? to defend against Messi and, you know, Richards and Carragher were talking about, you know, in their experience, you know, they've played both Ronaldo and Messi and, you know, Messi can really work something out of any space. And then it was funny, Roberto Martinez was like, yeah, you have to have a game plan against Messi. And then they were like, well, you're the manager. Like, what's your game plan against Messi? Like, what do you do? 
And he was like, uh, uh. And I was kind of like, this game kind of showed that. Like, because his response was like, you, yeah, you have to shut down the space. But literally like two sentences earlier, the other pundits were like, it doesn't matter how much space you give him. Like he does something. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Carragher has been someone who has been absolutely rinsed by both Messi and Ronaldo in his <laughs> career on multiple occasions. So he, he certainly has the expertise on this subject. Uh, but my point is, I think Messi remains the ultimate soccer X factor. They're going to need to pump him full of whatever. Actually, they don't pump him with anything. He has natural ability. Um, but they're going to need. I mean, now that the growth hormones have worn off, I mean. Absolutely, absolutely. What I mean to say is that they need him to summon all of his innate talent and put it on the pitch next week, uh, Friday, August 14th. So we shall see. Guys, not much to talk about in regards to Napoli. They showed a lot of fight. They probably should have taken some of the chances that create that they created earlier in the game. But Koulibaly, my word. <laughs> this guy okay. had an absolute <laughs> shocker of a game <laughs> that <laughs> probably made his value tank. About 25 million. I mean, one game can't destroy a player's reputation, obviously, but this came pretty close. <laughs> what do you what do you see about the, the future of Koulibaly, especially since he's been linked to the likes of Manchester City to help them improve their stuttering defense? <laughs> Micah Richards, on that same call that Caleb was talking about, said he saw shades of Mangala <laughs> in Koulibaly. <laughs> That's pretty much the worst thing you could say to a defender. I think that the Mangala comparison is totally off base, uh, actually. And I think that it does a complete disservice to someone who's been, you know, one of the best defensive players in Europe over the last three years. If you if you watched Rafael Varane's game on Friday, you could say that he, too, displayed, I don't know, shades of Nacho Fernandez or David Luiz at the, at, uh, the Etihad as well. I mean, at the end of the day, Koulibaly just looked like he wasn't up for it. And I'm not entirely sure if that's because he was distracted by the interest. Maybe he knows that he's a move to either City or United is on the cards or what. Pretty shocking performance all around. And we know that he's not necessarily the most technical player. His, uh, I think it might have been the worst game of his entire season. Uh-uh. Yeah, and I think the the important thing to remember is that we're judging him going up against Messi, who can make anyone look like a fool. Just ask Jerome Boateng. But I think he made a lot of pretty rudimentary errors that you would you wouldn't think an 80 million euro center back would be making yeah and also like like teams are thinking about buying a center back teams that are like in the champions league you know they want to see how these players perform against players they're going to have to face in the champions league so i understand that you know this is a one-off but i think it's still instructive for clubs like manchester united or otherwise that are thinking of purchasing this player that you know what he struggled terribly against barcelona truly terribly I mean, you might even say <laughs> that maybe he purposefully had a bad game because he expected Napoli were going to go out to help lower his price so that he could get to Manchester United more easily. Uh, I don't think that actually makes sense, but knowing <laughs> the that... hats are on, yeah, guys. Yeah. Clue but, the but, Illuminati theme. Yeah, exactly. But, but knowing that you know several teams have been after him for the past few years and have been unable to push through deals because Napoli have been asking for like 70 or 80 million, Maybe, you know, this type of thing plus COVID push your value down to like 50. I don't know. I, I don't think, once again, reiterating, that's not what I really think seriously, but certainly. Caleb, <laughs> conspiracy theory roads over here. Yes, absolutely. I'm known for my disbelief of, you know, facts and science and <laughs> rationality. 
that's definitely how I describe myself. But I think this game, in a real sense, though, does make it easier for him to make a transfer. I mean, he he is 29 years old. I mean, this is if there was ever a time for him to make that move, you know, before the 30 year mark for a defender, that's pretty much when you see most of these players uh, going out for big money. And I did, I just did some checking on who scored. Uh, this was only his third worst game of the season uh, by who scored rating. Take that for what you will. At the end of the day, he was one of the leaders in Serie A in terms of headers won and pass completion percentage. And I think this certainly might have. Uh, done Napoli no favors when it comes to their asking price. I do, you know, well, obviously we can't say that for sure. It must have been on his mind to some extent. But let's go from one calamitous center back performance to another calamitous center back performance from Koulibaly to Rafael Varane. Yesterday in Manchester, Man City won out against Real Madrid 4 2 on aggregate thanks to two absolute gifts. In fact, I've never seen more nicely wrapped gifts in soccer form from Rafael Varane, in which he gifted two beautiful chances to Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus in either half. Nathan, what exactly happened here? What was going through Varane's head? Madrid, they played reasonably well towards the end of the first half, but Man City just looked like they had all the answers and the pressing in this game. Madrid played with no urgency. And like as much as I thought Varane played really poorly, I think that both of his mistakes were caused by a complete lack of urgency an organization from Madrid's back four. While Sergio Ramos, we might have underestimated perhaps Sergio Ramos's leadership and organizational skills in that back four, because I don't think that he would have stood for those loose passes. I mean, there's no reason that Madrid should have been swinging around 14 passes at the back, going literally between the keeper, the right center back and Varane, and then the right back. I mean, it's just inexcusable when you have to be chasing the tie in the first place. And at the end of the day, Yes, Varane made some really bad errors. He had two errors leading to a goal. He ended up with a rating of a 3.7 on FootMob and a 4.6 on who scored. But I think that if Madrid had tried to do what we were talking about on the pod the other day and sort of use their attack to, to, to lessen the burden of their uh, back four missing their stalwart center back and Sergio Ramos, they might not have even had this issue in the first place. And I don't even think, I don't think City played particularly well. Um, I just think Real Madrid really played quite poorly with the exception of a few nice moments from Rodrigo and Benzema. I just want to say that they were certainly missing Sergio Ramos. And I don't think uh, Sergio Ramos showing up in an outfit that looked like he was just getting off work at Le Pan Cotidier was really really helping things. But yeah, Caleb... You're you're a Madrid expert and a Madrid hater. I'm sure you you relished all these Varane mistakes uh, coming into Barca's crucial game today. But what was your sort of objective take of this game? Yeah, I I think I agree with most of, if not all, of what Nathan said. I was a little confused by the lack of attempts to move the ball forward, especially at the beginning of the game when they had a lot of possession. I don't know why Courtois felt the need to like play it so cute all the time instead of just hitting it out because sometimes you just need to relieve the pressure and like it's not working i thought casemiro who normally really shows up for them in big games and is really consistent and important in that midfield was awful and had a really off game he had a few sort of like very loose touches he had several poor passes and i think he really just did not give them much from midfield at all i thought eden hazard 
who, you know, needed to pick up a big burden today, despite having not played that much recently because of another injury, did not have the most excellent game ever. In fact, I think that in retrospect, Zidane will have wanted to have played more of the 4-3-1-2 with Benzema and Hazard um, together as strikers rather than the 4-3-3 that he went with. And I think that's in part just because while Rigo did have a few moments and he was good, having Isco in there or having Valverde in there would have given them just many more options and would have just given them more quality overall. They just needed to put their best players on the field, and I'm not sure they did that. Right. It feels like they tried to go man for man with the players in Man City's heavily passing, heavily pressing system. And it was amazing to me on that Casemiro point, how many times, especially in the second half, Gundogan or De Bruyne was just able to release Sterling or Jesus down the line with one ball and take out the entirety of Madrid's midfield. Like Nathan was saying, it felt like there was no urgency for Madrid, but it also felt like they were playing with a lack of organization. Maybe that was down to the fact that they were a little bit confused with how to deal with Phil Foden in the false nine and the constant switching of positions of Man City's front three. But Nathan, it definitely felt like Madrid just ran out of options way too quickly, especially considering the fact that Zidane just kind of chucked on Valverde, Vasquez, and Luka Jovic, yikes, off the bench towards the end of this one. Yeah, and just to back up Caleb's point, I don't think I necessarily realized this, but looking at the numbers, Casemiro only had 29, uh, 28 rather completed passes, 20 of which were in his own half, which is the lowest out of all six of the center midfielders between the two teams. Same goes for Fede Valverde, who in his 10 minutes on the pitch didn't even have a single completed pass. So they couldn't even break down what was not even a necessarily a, a terribly high-intensity press from the citizens. Real Madrid now can go home having been bounced in the round of 16 two years in a row. And for a competition that is really their bread and butter, so to speak, what does this mean for this Madrid side as they head into the offseason? Thinking about the Juventus result in tandem, which we can get to in a minute, Ronaldo and Madrid are probably looking at each other like, what did we do? That transfer in the past two years seems pretty clearly to me to have been a lose-lose. And I think it's exposed how a little bit lopsided Madrid's attack can be, especially considering that their midfield of Kroos, Casemiro, and Modric, even throwing in Valverde, who's really their only sort of center midfielder, true center midfielder off the bench, don't really offer that much in terms of goals or even assists, really, especially with Hazard not you know, living up to expectations in his first year, and he could still prove us wrong. Um, they just are kind of listless right now. And Benzema's very good, but he is not you know, a top five player in the world who can just on his own will Madrid to success. So I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a bad look for Madrid and I'm not totally sure what they do to solve that problem. Ronaldo and Real Madrid right now are giving me very creation of Adams by Michelangelo vibes in that like they're reaching out (laughs) towards one another and like their fingertips are just like longingly touching, Mm. but (laughs) they're not quite you know, on the same wavelength are able to adjoin themselves once again. Because I definitely think even though Ronaldo wasn't feeling appreciated at Real Madrid in the way that he thought, and I certainly think he is being appreciated at Juventus, I think it's a case of maybe that separation coming a little bit too soon and leaving both Ronaldo and Real Madrid a little bit unprepared to deal with their respective futures on the biggest stage of European football both of them being bounced in the round of 16. I think you can look at Madrid's big transfers in the past two years 
not panning out the way that they wanted to. Very similar to Barcelona in that way. But Jovic has been a complete disaster and they're still having to rely on Benzema, who's not getting any younger. Obviously, they'll hope that Hazard is fully fit, but you still have to wonder. He's had injury concerns in the past, and he's not. He's kind of exiting the prime of his career, especially as wingers tend to exit that prime a little bit sooner than other players. So I, th- I think it's a case of maybe they have to look at the transfer market again, but you don't want to spend money willy-nilly on big marquee transfers that are going to flop so disastrously again. Rob, and also, like, Ramos isn't getting any younger either. It's honestly embarrassing that such a well-drilled Madrid team, with or without Ramos, couldn't deal with Phil Foden playing a false nine for the first time in his career. Right, and what's hilarious is that we were worried about Militao's inexperience coming into this game and where we left the game talking about Varane, their senior defender in this case, making these calamitous (laughs) Well, I think part of that was also because Militao had that great quote where he was like, never fear Madridistas. I will lead us to victory. Uh, and it sort of seemed like he was setting himself up for failure when I thought that he actually played pretty well. No, there was that instance where he completely dribbled through the entire city midfield. And we were, I was like, wow. But yeah, I totally agree, Nathan. Like uh, Militao was the person who is kind of could have been ended up being scapegoated as the defensive liability. But now there's going to be questions cast on Mendy and Varane. But I love it. I love to see Madrid lose. So. <laughs> I hope they continue. <laughs> soccer, soccer is not a zero-sum game, guys. Um, no, not the Champions League, at least. Unless you want to lose, and you think that by losing, <laughs> no, no, it could no, actually no, be no, a better. No. In fact, she made it. Actually, Nathan, Nathan, not to bring it back. In light of the Barcelona result, do you think Barcelona still should have had Messi just to shoot into Ter Stegen's net? Okay, this is... No, no, I actually don't care because you're wrong. It doesn't matter how you feel! Um, okay. I just, I just uh, feel... That Nathan just, destroyed with facts and logic. Absolutely, absolutely, as it should be. Um, Caleb really just pulling a rock. I don't care what you, what, you, what you have to say. Very well. Do we want to use this as a jumping off point to talk about the other disappointing result that we... Referenced multiple times there in uh, Juve, as I predicted, falling to Lyon on aggregate. So did I. Nathan, do you want to take us to Turin and discuss uh, Real Madrid's ex-domestic partner, Ronaldo, (laughs) and his uh, disappointing defeats at the hands of Lyon in the round of 16? I thought Lyon took the lead in the 12th minute off of what I thought was a very, very soft penalty. Very suspiciously soft, like a a sort of Manchester United-esque penalty award. Um, But Depay... Ended up Panekaing Wojciech Szczesny, which I thought was a very cool and collected move from someone who's recently returned from an eight-month absence. But I thought Leon pretty much were able to withhold the, the storm. They were playing a weird 3-5-2 that was almost like a 3-6-1 at times. Juve didn't look to have that much about them outside of Ronaldo, who scored a traditionally brilliant uh, Ronaldo goal. Lyon pretty much were able to just hold on and, and waste some time in the last half an hour and secure the victory on aggregate. Caleb, we obviously know that Maurizio Sarri is no longer the Eventus manager. And we'll get, we'll get, don't, don't you worry. We'll get to his shocking replacement. I think this was a case of, once again, all these expensive, flashy Rolls Royce pieces for Juventus weren't able to create a, a collective style flow that was able to get them an important result and we've seen this time and time again from this event side the season i don't think i've ever turned on my tv or my laptop sat down and watched a juventus game and, and been particularly impressed 
with their style of soccer. What do you think is going to be, not necessarily, we're going to get to the future of Juventus, obviously, but what do you think about the state of the Juventus team right now and the way that they performed in a crucial game against Lyon, especially with all of these name value egos associated with their team right now? I mean, the team is just broken. I, and I blame Sari in part because how do you not start Paolo Dibola in a game you need to win like three days after he is announced as the MVP of Serie A for Gonzalo Higuain, who is old and has been past it for several years and has struggled for form and fitness all season long. So I think Sari set up this team incorrectly. I know that he's a temperamental guy. And I think one of my issues with the Italian game often is that they seem to put like way too much emphasis on pointless personal like antagonisms or issues between players. And it just results in like strange decisions. Like I think of how the Italy national team left Insignia on the bench in their like must win qualifier for oh my God, that was the awful. 2018 World Cup. And I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Like in must win games, you pretty much have to play your best players. And Dibla is your at least your second best player. I was very disappointed with the result. I mean, I thought that Leon were going to win because while I agreed with Nick that the Ronaldo factor was big and it turned out to be big, I just didn't think it would be good enough to overcome just like the glaring holes in this team. So I don't know where this team goes from here. Honestly, Ronaldo is not getting any younger. They are still struggling to find consistent goals beyond him because Dibola still is not super duper prolific. Bernadeschi has been there for a few years now and never really found his feet. Douglas Costa, also not a great goal scorer, also hasn't seen a lot of minutes. And then their midfield is just kind of like a random assortment of six sort of like just below world-class players. And their defense is aging as well. This squad, terrible construction, no future, and Pirlo is not going to work out, I'm telling you now. But before we get to that, Caleb, I just want to, I have a quick comparison that I think we talked about. Juve are actually suffering from the PSG effect in that they've basically been able to walk their league for the last 10 years. And that's enabled them to patch up these these glaring deficiencies in their squad. And while in the last three years in particular, PSG have been able to rectify that by spending both in volume and quality, Juve have relied on these sort of free transfers of aging players and bizarre swap deals to keep themselves afloat. And because they haven't been seriously pressed in any year except for 2016, 2017, they have been able to just exist as this, as Nick said, collection of egos and star players and as we can get to now they have some serious issues ahead of them with their new coach i think that's the thing right is that we can we're, we're gonna obviously caleb already spilled the beans you know there's zero <laughs> <Sorry>. zero foreplay <laughs> <laughs> Damn, <Caleb's>. but, <laughs> talking about psg every season they don't have to look over their shoulder and see that Marseille have improved with the likes of an Ahraf Hakimi, whoever Lazio are going to end up bringing in, or like a resurging team in Atalanta. You know, they don't have that kind of pressure. Juventus have that kind of immediate pressure on them, where teams like Inter Milan and AC Milan are going to be better next season. And I think with the, let's just get to it, Maurizio Sarri out the door. Ten days ago, Andrea Pirlo was appointed as the U21 manager of Juventus, it's the quickest promotion in the history of soccer. I don't know what changed on his resume, but he is now the big-time Juventus coach. I, they announced him as the coach. I don't think he's the quite managerial level yet, but he's certainly going to be trying to consolidate all of these big egos going into what is going to be an incredibly competitive season for Juventus. Caleb, 
an absolutely wild story. I, I did not anticipate this happening when I woke up today. What do you make of A, Pirlo taking over Juventus and Pirlo taking over Juventus, like knowing that Maurizio Pochettino and Inzaghi were linked to this job coming into today? I think it's just a huge error. I mean, I could be wrong. Pirlo could be amazing. He has literally no managerial track record at all. And considering that this team is essentially reliant on whatever the ceiling is for Ronaldo's ability in the next year or two, they need a manager who has experience and can lead this team to win now. This Juventus team has gotten very close to success over the past decade. They've lost, what, three Champions League finals? Is that correct? I just think two. that they're start to, but they're just starting to time out. Bringing in Pirlo with the intention, presumably because he's young, he's only 41 for a manager, that you want to see this club legend play or manage rather for a few years. It just doesn't make sense to bring him in at this time, right? I can totally see a better scenario, and you kind of alluded to this, where you bring in Pochettino and you could even have, or a Pochettino type person who's available, and you bring in Pirlo as the assistant manager or let him continue to manage the U23 team, which as you said, he was literally just appointed to. So I mean, like, I hope he's had some success there in the like two training sessions he's led. Wow, those training <laughs> sessions, the 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 things those players learned. I, yeah, I, it just seems weird, and it just seems like the wrong place to look for success with this team. I saw a lot of comparisons today to when Zidane took over Real Madrid or when Arteta took over Arsenal recently this season, and to me, there's just no comparison. Right. Because Zidane, he had he had a year of training as Ancelotti's assistant. He got to witness one of the greatest managers in the history of the game and see how he kind of plies his trade and then learn from that, learn as the Real Madrid Castilla manager. Arteta the same. He got to spend a lot of years working under Pep Guardiola as his assistant and then eventually graduate to the Arsenal job. It seems like they're trying to replicate that. Arteta Zidane effect with Pirlo without having Pirlo do any of the required things in order to gain that expertise, which is going to mold him into a good coach. Because right now it seems like they're just appointing a name and hoping that he organizes all of the yeah. big egos to get on his side. And I mean, even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had a managerial career in Norway before going to Manchester United. And even though and at Cardiff, obviously he managed yeah, in the I, Premier League, right? Obviously, huge step up in quality between those sides and Manchester United where he wound up and a huge step up between being city's assistant coach and being the manager for one of the bigger clubs in the world. That's um, at least experience. Right. But it's still experience. I mean, this move is actually insane to me. Um, like we talked about poor managerial and, and board uh, decisions a lot this past year, because it seems like there have been some baffling appointments made around the world, but in a world where you do have literally one of the better managers in the world, especially when it comes to man management in Maurizio Pochettino as a free agent who already speaks Italian. It just seems like there's a, there's a match made in heaven. And his family is from Piemonte, like the Piemont region. Talk about Piemonte right. Calcio. I mean, <laughs> and also like, I mean, Gattuso was asked today about how he thinks Pirlo will fare. And the words that he used were, I think he's screwed, to be honest. Even if he does well. <laughs> no way. Did he actually say that? I'm going to bring Italian. up the quote verbatim. <laughs> in um, Italian? In Italian. Uh, let's, uh, I'm bringing up the quote right now. Um, Gattuso <laughs> says, he's screwed now. He's lucky to be starting at Juventus 
but this profession is one where a great playing career is not enough. You have to study to work hard and you don't get much sleep. I don't necessarily see this as a direct shot at Pirlo per se, but it's definitely indicative of how ridiculous. I mean, look at look at Sari's career path. And he was someone who didn't have a playing career, who struggled through Serie D, Serie C, Serie B, and wound up winning a couple of trophies on Europe's biggest stages. Pirlo, while he has had this incredible playing career in Italy and abroad, I just don't understand this appointment yeah. at all. Well, I, think, I think we have to understand it from the Italian perspective. And I think Gattuso is actually interesting because we've now seen several players from that like superb Milan team of the 2000s become managers. Gattuso, Inzaghi, and Pirlo now. Both Gattuso and Inzaghi were appointed pretty much directly to the AC Milan job. And they were terrible. And they got fired. And so I think when Gattuso says, like he's screwed it's because he literally was in a similar boat he was a club legend who got the job and just was like completely out of his depth and you know he's rehabilitated his career to end up at napoli yeah and inzaghi just promoted benevento back to syria a quick note on gattuso though he ended up managing sion palermo and pisa before managing milan's youth team and then milan so even he had you know half a decade of managerial experience before making it to the quote-unquote big time. Yeah, I think the comparison that works somewhat in this instance is Frank Lampard because he didn't really have that time to marinate as a professional underneath another manager, right? You look at Zidane and the way that he learned from Ancelotti as his assistant. Lampard just kind of dove into the deep end with Derby County, but even then he was able to collect some experience away from the big limelight of the Premier League. Pirlo is not going to have that chance. Every decision that he makes in the Eventus job is going to be very highly scrutinized and is going to be very public. A lot of these kind of first year mistakes that Pirlo is going to make, they're going to be amplified twofold by the fact that it is the Eventus job and they're in such a win now mode, which is equally confusing to me. I understand that they want to win the Champions League now, but their moves are caught between two minds to me because part of like the Delic signing, the Pirlo appointment, it doesn't mesh with the win now mentality of signing players like Cristiano Ronaldo, bring in someone like they're trying to execute two philosophies at the same time. And as we've seen before, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it doesn't work. And you kind of started to get on this too. Unlike all those other managerial appointments, Lampard, Inzaghi, Gattuso, et cetera, the expectation wasn't that you at a minimum had to win the league. At a minimum, he has just insane expectations on him. And he's also going to be the first Juventus manager in the last decade to lose Serie A. And it's not going to be close. Antonio, we don't know what Antonio Conte's status is with Inter. But as of right now, he's still their coach, barring some issues with the Inter Milan board. He's far and away the best coach in Serie A right now. Yeah. And then you have Lazio adding David Silva on a free transfer. And oh. they were a team that competed for a long time this year before, you know, eventually basically tanking themselves. I mean, this year is going to be the year where, where Juve fall. Can you imagine if in one year's time we're sitting here and, <laughs> and Pirlo has won the treble <laughs> and we're going to have to like look back on this podcast and... <laughs> no, but, like but, but the, thing is, the thing is no. The thing is like no. Yeah. I, like You're right. That's a possibility, but I think it's so incredibly unlikely. Because this team's not going to change that much. It's just going to get older. And most of their best players are already past it. 
So that doesn't help them at all. I don't know. I mean, they, we know that Arthur Mello is coming in. That's that's something that we do know, and they are going to try and skew younger, hopefully. I just don't think we know enough about Andrea Pirlo's style of management or the fact that he is very little... He can't even have a style of management if he hasn't ever managed. Yeah, he's literally an unknown. We have no idea what he's going to do. We can't give him the benefit of the doubt here because we don't know what his benefits are. Yeah. <laughs> Good beard, though. He's going to look extremely dapper on the touchline. That's, yeah, that's one thing. And, that, yeah. He and Buffon have aged like fine wine to be yeah, He'll certainly look better than sorry. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also, very low bar. Very, very low bar. Sorry, I'm the, we're, probably a lot less cigarette smoke that these players are going to have to inhale No, <laughs> coming right. off and on the bench. Do we want to even give a, a brief sentence or two about Bayern? Yeah, or, like how we just uh, naturally we just naturally moved past Bayern. But <laughs> I mean, what is there really to say? Such a shambles. And you know, the fact that they got one goal, I said five nil. It ended up being five or it ended up being four one. So I wasn't too far off there. But this is Chelsea's uh, worst ever European defeat um, in a two legged tie. Seven one on aggregate. 36% possession in the game. So they had absolutely no control of what was going on around them. And even N'Golo Conte started in this one. So you could clearly see that Lampard was trying to mitigate the damage somewhat. But it uh, proves once again that Frank Lampard is a uh, looking a bit fraudulent. Yeah, dude. It was crazy that he only brought one sub off the bench. And that was Giroud. Like, once you're down this much, like, why not let Michi Bacuai get a few minutes? Why not give Fakayo Tamori, who's... We haven't really talked about this, but like totally frozen out of the team. But yeah, this Chelsea team is just ready to slough off the elderly people and bring in all of their new talent. The, this this fixture becomes much more competitive if we see it again next year. Does it though? Because I just feel like they're. Oh no no I think no no I think Bayern still win. I just think they win five one instead of seven one. <laughs> much more competitive much more competitive oh my yeah God. i just think without i mean <laughs> i guess tr- try looking at Koulibaly. i suppose you might be able to get a, dis- a discount on on him at this stage i don't know if that's gonna really help you all that much God. well lads that was the round of 16 a lot more eventful than i think we anticipated it being messy brilliance var controversy so long sorry the beard is back. That has been Corner Kick. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. Andrea Pirlo, what were they thinking? That poor guy. <laughs>